listening to the Deep Purple Podcast, a fan podcast about one of the most legendary bands of all time, Deep Purple. We take a look at the music, history, and people behind the band Deep Purple and beyond. Welcome to the Deep Purple Podcast, the first and only podcast devoted to one of the greatest bands in rock history, Deep Purple. Today's episode is episode number 220, Abandon Part 1. And coming to you from the Wisconsin-bound suburbs of Chicago, I'm your host, Nathan Beaudry. And coming to you from the suburbs of Providence, I'm your co-host, John Pumpkin Facial Cleanser Matola. <laughs> It's very, very seasonal in late June here. <laughs> I tried to get that out without laughing, but I'm like, it sounded too ridiculous. Are you using a pumpkin facial cleanser? I am. And mm-hmm. I smell a little pumpkin-y right now. <laughs> you smell it? <laughs> nice. How, how warm is it over there? It's like 85 here today. <laughs> yeah, it is. It's, it's not seasonal to now, but I was like, uh, somebody, uh, one of, one of my uh, friends had given me, somebody given me a, uh, a facial cleanser with a pumpkin seed oil in it. And I'm oh, like, okay. oh yeah. So it's not like uh, a pumpkin spice sort of thing. It's just has pumpkin seed oil in it. Yeah. But it's very like, it's very pumpkiny and spicy smelling, but okay. not like, I mean, you can't help but think of fall when you have that on, but I'm like, I'm, I'm always looking to add new things to the skincare routine so I can maintain my, <laughs> my, uh, <laughs> freaky, freaky like youth. Yeah. And, um, my youthful glow Your youthful and glow. um yeah so i'm like well i'll try it and so i put a little moisturized put a little bit on so now i'm here smelling like a pumpkin spice candle in uh in the middle of june mm. and uh that's my story all right well, makes sense i just just got in last night uh late last night from wisconsin so uh, wouldn't you say wisconsin something else like because wisconsin bound means that you're on your way yeah i panicked it was like i was i didn't know what to say i <laughs> yeah, said the student i could tell you yeah. panicked you're like it was, wisconsin, it wisconsin bound and i'm like that's that was i it, it was like coming out of my mouth and i was trying to grab at it and bring it back but it was too late <laughs> I'm, I'm not wisconsin bound i'm wisconsin like what do you i guess ben wisconsin, wisconsin ben, ben. I've been Wisconsin. I've been in Wisconsin. Yeah, I don't know how how you would say what's the opposite of bound, like about to go somewhere versus like I just got back from somewhere. Maybe there's a word out there. Maybe some of our English uh, uh, professor style uh, listeners can let me know if there's like a uh, an analog for for that 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 concept. But anyway, yes, I just got back yesterday from Wisconsin, or as somebody I used to work with used to call it Westconsin, which implies the existence of an Eastconsin. Um, <laughs> I was like, I was in East Wisconsin and West Wisconsin. Yeah, which Wisconsin were you in, West or East? I was in West Wisconsin. Well, if you were in Wisconsin or Wisconsin, then that must have mean you were in Central Wisconsin. Yeah, Central Wisconsin, South Wisconsin. Um, but I, yeah, we uh, we were there for a friend's wedding. It was very lovely in Door County. It was it was kind of like the Cape Cod of Wisconsin. It's like this peninsula that juts out into Lake Michigan. Oh. Very very nice. Took the boat tour on our last uh, full day there, where they they were like, oh, here's some beautiful homes from the 1920s, and oh, here's where uh, 15 people fell in through the ice and died. <laughs> it was very <laughs> very it was, uplifting. It was a mixture of like some really like oh. Yes, it's a great thing. And oh, there's this guy, Sven, that used to live here and the ladies loved him. And um, yeah, and a bunch of people froze to death. Uh, moving along. <laughs> <laughs> it was very, it was very interesting. 
Uh, every, got, some, every t- got some Wisconsin beer. Uh, Wait, did you say Wisconsin? I did. Wisconsin beer. Uh, New Glarus, which is only available in Wisconsin. Anybody around this part? Anytime you come back from Wisconsin, you got to bring some some of this. This is the Spotted Cow, which is their no- number one, like most popular beer that everyone kind of knows. And this one is their gra- uh, Spotted Cow Grand Cru. So I'm going to enjoy that during today's episode. Mm. Yeah. You know, the... Um, Every time I hear Wisconsin, I think of, um, I don't think it was a well-known comedian, but there was somebody a, a while ago that had a bit about Arnold Schwarzenegger yep. and how like in his, a lot of, when he started doing a string of like eighties and early nineties action movies, they would just like, just throw him in there. And he would just like, he would almost be like living in small town USA, like in America, like a yeah. all American guy, but he'd have the accent. And yeah. Be like, like, in, like jingle nobody, all the way. He's just like, oh, I'm just married to, I forgot what the, the actress that played his wife. And it says Phil Hartman's his neighbor. He's just like, I'm on the, I'm the next door neighbor. And it's like, exactly. he's jacked and he's this big Austrian guy. It's like, oh, how did this guy show up? Yeah. They were just like, yeah, that's a big thing that nobody addressed. He's just like, Ah, this house reminds me of when I was a little boy growing up in Wisconsin. <laughs> like, dude, no. And that's what I think of every time somebody brings up that uh, that state. <laughs> well, I, I I will tell you. Um, there was a lot of uh, Scandinavian and Norwegian foods consumed. Um, uh, very, very nice. We did like, so it's, it's a big, big, uh, heavily populated uh, uh, Scandinavian area. So one of the restaurants we went to had goats on the roof and there was like um, oh, I Swedish, saw that, that post. Yeah. A, a Swedish flag and a Danish flag and a, and a Norwegian flag. And I put, I I'd shared some photos in the, um, um, in the uh, Discord for with, with the patrons, uh, but it was really cool and just having all those. I loved like Scandinavian food, so it was really cool. Sent some uh, pictures of some. Uh, it was like a goat shaped Swedish flags. Of course, I sent it to Jonathan. <laughs> and there, <laughs> the place we went to that day, it had like a there was like a brick, and they had painted it like the Swedish flag, and it was like holding open the door. And then there was a rock painted like the Swedish flag, and it was like using it as a paper holder because or as like a paperweight because uh, it was an outdoor restaurant. But it was a really beautiful area. I highly recommend it. Wow. Um, um, we are much poorer now after having spent some time there. Um, so I wouldn't have known that, uh, you know, there's a lot of, uh, a lot of the U S that I have not traveled. So, um, you know, knowing that there is, uh, you know, such a heritage of other countries in certain places, like I would have never thought that. Yeah. And I, but I know nothing about Wisconsin at all. So, well, it's, it's cool. Well, big cheese making state. So we got brought home some nice cheeses and cheese curds and all that sort of stuff. They sell the fries, cheese curds at every restaurant. They sell them around here too, but um, it's, it's cool because having only lived here for like the past 10 years, um, I get to visit a lot of these places. Like people are like, you've never been to Iowa. You've never been to St. Louis. Like we went to St. Louis a few months ago. It's only four hours from here. Um, we've never been. So I was like, it's, it's all these cool places I can visit that are pretty close. You know, the, it's the equivalent of you driving to New York, you know, not, right. not, not a big deal. Um, and like Door County is, like I said, it's, it reminds me of the Cape Cod. It's about five hours from here. So it's a little bit of a drive. Um, whereas your Cape Cod is an hour from where we grew up. Um, yeah. So it's uh, it, unless you go all the way to the end of Cape Cod, of course. But uh, yeah, it's it's really cool um, having a lot of cool places. You know, everyone around here knows all these places and have been there a million times. So I'm like going there for the first time. and Everyone's like, how, how have you never been there? Because everyone just thinks you lived here your whole life. But 
Yeah, but either that or people just, you know, they they act like uh, you have this unlimited resources of time and money to just go places. <laughs> oh, you've never been to. No, I've never been. I, I work for a living. Jesus. What do you think? I just go driving off to New York all the time. <laughs> you've never been to New York. Um, all right. So, folks, if you want to support our show, our show is 100 percent listener supported. No ads. All of the value we get for the show to support it and keep it going comes from you, the listeners. Uh, we really appreciate it. So if you want to help keep the lights on, keep the show going, you can support our show a number of ways. One is by leaving us a five-star review on Apple Podcasts, which I neglected to check before the show, but it's been kind of slowing down. So um, we're getting close to like 100 reviews on Apple Podcasts. You know, it's a very, very small number of people that actually listen. I was thinking maybe what we could do is have some sort of like giveaway for – if somebody gets the um, 100th review, you know what I mean? Like, so if somebody writes the 100th review, and it can't be somebody that already wrote it because those are already in there. And if you go to write it again, it just keeps your old review. So I was thinking maybe like whoever hits 100, we could send them something like a hat or a, or a you know, a, a T-shirt or something like that. But Pumpkin um, face cream. Pumpkin face cream. <laughs> yeah, exactly. A bag of cheese curds. <laughs> uh, you know, something one of us recently acquired. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, so yeah. Uh, anyway, more to come on that. Well, that that just kind of popped in my head. So we'll flesh that out as we as we uh, as we get along. Of course, my dog's freaking out now that um now that we're recording. Um, you well, can also buy some merch at our Etsy store. You were going to do a giveaway, so he's just <laughs> <laughs> like, I want a T-shirt. Um, you can become a patron on Patreon or on PayPal for as little as $1 a month. You can help support the show, keep us in good things, uh, use all that money to put back into the show. We um, uh, use it to buy albums for review. We do all that sort of stuff. So um, so check that out. You can also donate on Cash App using dollar sign DPPOD or support us on Ko-fi. Um, so, um, yeah, so a uh, reminder, we are going to see Glenn Hughes in September. Um, at Worcester, Massachusetts, September 19th, 2023 at the Palladium in Worcester, Massachusetts. Uh, I'll put a link in the show notes if you want to buy tickets, meet us there. Hopefully we've got a, quite a few people already meeting up and we would love to meet up with more. So if you're interested, please um, let us know ahead of time. We've got plenty of time, but um, if you are looking to meet up, just let us know if you're going and hopefully we can meet up for a drink before or after or something. So what was, uh, sorry, what was the date again? Uh, September 19th. September 19th. Okay, so there was what is the Are you backing out? What's going on? No, I'm not, <laughs> I'm not backing out. Get out of here. Um there was another What was the other um deep purple thing that I Oh, there was um oh, it's um August August 26th is um Beyond Purple. Oh, okay. Which is up in the Worcester area. Um, I forgot the where the dates fell. So it's all like a, about a month before that. So it's a um, it's something that one of my friends um, uh, brought to my attention. He was just one of those one of those people. Is like, oh yeah, you like uh, you like Deep Purple, right? There was this uh, this cover band coming to uh, this this bar in Worcester, and I thought, oh, is it a Stormbringer, the one that mm-hmm. you know me and Rich and. Uh, Gardot and Roback saw, and he's just like, no, no, it's something purple. And I'm like, all right, that doesn't help. <laughs> so <laughs> I, so I went and looked it up and, um, and I'd sent it to, to you guys too. send to the group chat. And it's, um, it looks like another, like, a uh, another, uh, you know, just a deep purple, uh, tribute band, but this one, um, um, they call themselves beyond purple because they play hits from deep purple, oh. white snake, rainbow, yep, Dio, yep. 
they do the family, which mm-hmm. I think is really cool. And I actually haven't had time to look them up. It's like the band uh, equivalent of our show. Right. Exactly. So and one um, of the guys kind of looks like John Lord. I'm going to be really disappointed if that guy all the way on the right isn't the keyboard player. And he literally had like the, the walrus mustache. Yeah. And <laughs> He's just missing the sunglasses. I know. If but, I see uh, him on but, base, I'm going to be like, ah, I want my money back. Uh, but that's going to be um, August 26th at Rascals in Worcester, which is actually right around the corner from where the um, from where the Glenn Hughes show is going to be about a month later at the uh, Palladium. So um, yeah, if you want to meet up with John a couple of times. Yeah. Yeah. So I'll be going out there. I asked um, asked, um, you know, the uh, New England contingent to go. I think it would be a little far for our Connecticut peeps. But, uh, you know, if anybody else is around and wants to meet up, um, probably going to go to that because it sounds like a really cool time. Yeah, that'd be great. I'm really looking forward to it. Um, so um, <clears throat> just mentioning uh, some of our more recent patrons that we, we kind of recorded very quickly back to back our last couple of episodes. Um, so uh, we did have a chance to hear back. Um, uh, Charles Meadows writes in and says, Nate and John, sorry for the late response. I hardly ever check Gmail. I don't really have anything to add other than I've loved Deep Purple and all their incarnations and family tree pretty much forever. I discovered the podcast about six months ago, and I'm looking forward to future shows as well as catching up with the ones I've missed. So you got a big backlog to listen to there. Oh, so, yes. So and thanks. most of them aren't available on um um, Apple, yeah, Apple uh, what is it, I, iTunes I have, anymore? I have uh, contacted Apple support so many times. They just completely ignore me. They don't even respond to my emails. I'm like, I don't know. I don't know what to do at this point. But it's, yeah, there's a hundred or so episodes missing. I mean, there's all these other platforms you can get it on, which seem to be all fine. I don't know why it's just Apple. But, uh, but of course, Apple is a huge percentage of our listener base. So, I mean, yeah. if you're looking to look at the most recent ones, it's it's easy. But if not, if I mean, if you're really interested in going to the back ones and you can't find them on Apple Podcasts, they're out there on pretty much every other platform. Mm. Um, and then Steve down to earth Kohler, uh, writes in says, um, actually put this in the discord. Hi everyone. Glad to have joined the DPP community. Been listening for about a year and have been a huge rainbow fan since 1979. Uh, this show has introduced me to so much music and taught me so much about deep purple and all the offshoots. So thank you, Steve. Seems like a down to earth kind of guy. <laughs> uh, oh, anyway. Oh my goodness. Moving on. Um, so speaking of patrons, uh, before we get started here today, we do want to um, thank our executive level patrons coming into the $25 Uncommon Man tier. We have Ovis Nakfi and Purple Maniac at the 15 Squid tier. We have... That's right, Alan Bag. I messed that one up. What it's supposed to be is we have Alan... There we go. That's a little bit better. I'm still getting used to that one. Um, at the $10 Good Doctor tier, we have Dr. Jill Brees and Dr. Mike Catan. At the Turn It Up to $11 tier, Clay Wambacher, Frank Tealgard Mortensen, Mikkel Steen, and Will Porter, D, uh, PHDPP. At the $10 Someone Came tier, Ryan M., Jeff Bryce, Victor Campos, and Better, Saul, better Call, Saul Evans. At the Hughesween by 2033 tier, Fielding Fowler. And at the In Memoriam tier, we have Gerald, Jerry Kelly, and family. Uh, Thank you to Jerry and his family for their support over the years. Okay, so uh, before we get to the next, uh, before we get into the the meat of the the album and everything, we do have uh, something for you, and that is, of course... That's right, we've got Postcards from the Edge of Connecticut, um, this time actually coming to us uh, from the edge of Maine. Look at that beautiful scene there. Um, the, mm. the lake 
Well, the lake. I'm sure there's probably more, one, more than one lake in Maine. <laughs> this one Just is the, um, the lake in Maine. Of course, they always like postmark it like right over all the text on the back and so hard to read. Um, but this is uh, Skudik Lake in Maine and Mount Katahdin. We'll call it Katahdin. Um, Skudik Lake is a deep main lake with a small drainage basin. It is 8.3 miles long, 2.7 miles wide, and 188 feet deep. The lake provides good habitat for togue, square tail, and landlocked Atlantic salmon. Really? Atlantic salmon? Also, must be must be brackish waters in there. Uh, landlocked? Fish, uh, yeah, landlocked American Atlantic salmon. I don't know what that means. Like, maybe, like, it got sealed off from the ocean, and now they're just, like... Atlantic salmon just kind of grew up in this lake, so I don't know if that means it's um, kind of farm raised, but naturally. Well, maybe it's salt, salty. It might be a saltwater lake or just brackish. Mm. I don't know. Uh, but it says fishermen have also find uh, again this postmark <laughs> something time with something white sucker and round white fish. <laughs> white sucker. Yeah, I can't read that. Um. So the message on the back says, Nate, now here is a lake and mountain for you, Peter. Um, and then it says, what does that say? Like, they, they seem to have really sabotaged his postcard today. Oh, so no. he wrote something on the bottom and he points to my town and it says, Oh, <laughs> he wrote, to, he pointed to my town and wrote home of the bears because he's been teasing me about <laughs> the prospect that the bears might be coming to my town, which is like, mm. no, please. No, we do not need a gigantic stadium and all that traffic and everything in our city. Um, so, yeah, pretty cool. Uh, this looks like a more recent uh, postcard. So he must have got that on a recent trip to Maine. I know he goes up there every summer. Um, oh, I don't see a uh, dirty pizza on there. Yeah, No, no dirty grinders. A uh, grinder. Yeah, dirty <laughs> dirty pizza. <laughs> dirty pizza. I'm sure the pizza must be dirty too. But uh, thank you, Pete, mm. for your uh, postcard. As always, um, seldom a week goes by. Sometimes we have four or five postcards a week lately. <laughs> yeah, you're getting uh, you're getting quite a collection over there. I know, right? It's crazy. Um, okay, so uh, here we go. We are at abandoned. Can you believe we're abandoned already? 1998. Crazy. Whoever thought we'd see the day. Whoever thought we would see the day when we were talking about such a recent album. So, John, do you have uh, do you have any history with this album? I I honestly think this is the last Deep Purple album that I bought from this era because I did get Perpendicular. Um, because um, as I mentioned before, um, the Battle Rages on was the new album at the time when we got into them. Mm -hmm. So of course, when this, when, uh, um, perpendicular came out, I got that and I did was kind of familiar with it, but forgot about it over the years. And now after our episode, I love it again. Yeah. Um, probably more than I did then. Um, but this one, um, I know that I, I did buy it, but it's like, I'd be hard pressed to remember anything from it because I think this was my last kind of, it wasn't the deep purple that I was into, which was at the time, just all the, the classic stuff, all the seventies, yep. um, more so than even the eighties. So bared no resemblance to it. And I just really like lost interest. Like didn't don't remember it at all. Like, um, mm -hmm. I, I, I don't think that I hated it or, um, or even liked it. I just think that I was indifferent to it. I'm just kind of like, ah, eh, this sounds too 
modern or this doesn't mm-hmm. sound like in rock, so I'm not interested. And it just kind of got buried under my CDs and I just never listened to it. So that's uh that's regrettably it, I'm sure. <laughs> Yeah, uh, my my history is well, sim- somewhat different. But um, I didn't. The, the perpendicular was really the last one I bought contempor- uh, contemporaneously. Is that the right word? Um, the last contemporary purple yeah, album. And this one, like I was aware of it, but like and I heard it a little bit, but I never really, um, you know, I kind of just kind of had grown, uh, I don't grown apart. Um, Steve Swift uh, from from his podcast, he's got a great little a rant about it, which I should try to dig up. He kind of he kind of talks about uh, you know those times when you just kind of move on from a band and go, and explore other things. And he, he has like a funny way of putting. It. He's like, it's like they didn't owe me twenty dollars. They didn't you know you know they didn't uh, insult my mother. They didn't do any of that. But it's just like you just we just kind of like I just kind of moved on and and it grew grew apart and stopped really kind of paying attention. And it was kind of yeah, the same thing enough. with this, where you know like it was a new direction for the band, and I was. You know, still, I guess, fresh enough with the, um, you know, because we by this point, we'd only been really listening to Deep Purple for probably a little less than 10 years. So I was still kind of into that stuff. And had I, you know, grown up with the music when it when it came out and had that big long gap and everything, I probably would have just kept up with it a little bit more. But, you know, at this point, you're just kind of cherry picking old albums and maybe not as as much aware of what's going on recently. So, yeah, I, I kind of had grown on and, and moved on to other musical directions. Also, at this time, I had started working. Um, well, I had not started, but I had started really heavily working in restaurants, like 100 hours a week. I didn't have time for anything. You know, I had a few CDs and tapes I would play in the kitchen while we like while we worked and stuff. But, you know, I I. I I lost track of a lot of stuff, a lot of um, music, a lot of friends, mm-hmm. a lot of life. Um, so, and you know, like it's kind of like when I when I came out of that five plus year funk of working crazy hours in a restaurant, it was almost just kind of like rebuilding my life again. Um, so I kind of like lost touch with a lot of that stuff. Like you um, got out of a bad relationship. I mean, it was like that. I mean, we st- guys, we, I'm back. You know, we we <laughs> stopped hanging out as much because I mean, I was always working. You know, it was like you know, I didn't see anybody. You know, it was just it yeah, was you like, bastard. <laughs> it was just people from work. You know, like didn't have a didn't yeah. have a girlfriend, didn't have anything, didn't have time for anything other than work. So it's kind of one way that industry kind of kind of sucks you in and takes over your life. So, you know, when mm-hmm. I came out of that, you know, we opened a recording studio and started to get more into stuff like that. So got, got a little back into it, but was really focused on at that point, focused on music that we were making for other people and making ourselves um, more so than, uh, than what bands were going, what, what was going on with bands. So, you know, it's interesting, but, but again, you know, I, 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 um, I didn't really hear this and listen to it with any great critical appreciation until, you know, quite a few years ago um and my main impression of it was i remember when i came back to deep purple after you know that hiatus thinking this is really heavy like that that thought i got when perpendicular came out when i first heard like the beginning of ted the mechanic i'm like holy crap this is the heaviest thing they've ever done mm. i remember thinking this album to me sounded even heavier than perpendicular but um i've intentionally not listened to it for probably about a year um because i knew we would cover it on the show and i wanted it to be a little bit fresh uh when, when we talked about it but you know it's probably an album i've heard ah, i don't even know five ten times somewhere in, somewhere in that range it's nothing that i've i've played a million mm-hmm. times i'm familiar with stuff on it um but it's not something i know like the back of my hand um so uh this uh 
Ivan Fjellbu had sent me, um, I think I have it over here. And I, I'd also, he, he sent me a scan of the abandoned tour book. And when I saw it, I was, they have a great tour book, just like the perpendicular one that just got so much cool information in it. So of course I just went on eBay immediately and bought it. Cause I was like, this is just great. It's got so much cool stuff in it. Um, Roger Glover, you know, it's a day by day, just like the perpendicular one day by day. This is what we, they did every single day from his journal. Nothing more than one, I'd say one to three sentences about every day. You know, today we worked on bass tracks and I was playing well and I liked my tone. And this day we were working on John's organ sound and it broke down and we had to fix it. And, you know, this day we didn't get too much done. This day we flushed out this song, whatever it was. It's all that sort of stuff. Um, so he also has these studio reports um, in in there. And I'll get into one of those, I think, before we get uh, into the album in particular, uh, but I, and I'll put a bunch of this stuff into the show notes as well. Uh, but obviously, the band lineup has not changed. Everyone knows, listening to this, knows the lineup of the band: Roger Glover, Ian Pace, Steve Morse, John Lord, Ian Gillen. Um, and then on technical, we got Darren Schneider, uh, who's working as probably the main engineer. A lot of the stuff that that Roger's talking about um, on this album is, you know, oh, I worked with Darren on some computer work on this song this day. So it sounds like he was kind of like the the uh, he's not credited as producer, but he's kind of like a co-producer of the album. It seems like he did a lot of the engineering. He started working with them on the Battle Rages On, also worked on Perpendicular, um, and uh, the, he did, he worked on the mixing of the Live at Olympia that we just uh, listened to. Um, he also worked with Steve Morse Band and Vixen. Uh, also uh, worked with Living Loud and Hoochie Coochie Men, a couple of Deep Purple, uh, uh, Deep Purple related bands. Jen always thinks Hoochie Coochie Men is the most ridiculous thing she's ever heard. Um, not the music, not the name of the band. She's never heard the music. <laughs> <laughs> and then uh, Porcupine Tree, which I know nothing about, but I know people really dig that band. Do you know Porcupine Tree at all? I don't think so. No. Um, uh, also engineering, Keith Andrews. Uh, he had a few credits, but not too many. Uh, Kent Huffnagel. He worked with, funny, he worked with Mandy Moore and Destiny's Child. You know, you're in that area of Orlando, Florida, where all the boy bands are manufactured and the, mm. and then, you know, manufactured, not that those are boy bands, but, you know, all that sort of stuff. So he was probably in the studio that time. You get a lot of folks like that coming in, like those kind of pop acts. But he also worked with Mike Keneally, who, who is uh, a really cool musician. He's, he was in Zappa's band for a while. I, I have some of his stuff I really like. Um, Shannon Brady was another uh, another engineer. Also worked with a band called Pissing Razors, which just makes me want to... <laughs> it just makes me want to cross my legs just saying it. I'm like, oh, ouch. <laughs> I just, yeah, I just grabbed at my crotch. I was like, oh, ouch. <laughs> Nothing new there, though. He's usually doing that during the show. Um, yeah, and that's pretty know? much it. Uh, production manager Charlie Lewis, who worked with Roger Glover solo on, I think, on Mask and a few other things, uh, worked with Rainbow Dream Theater. So that kind of guy. Um, which brings us to the album art. John, what do you think of the cover of Abandon? Weird. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> another another weird concept. Um, yeah, it's a. It's a guy, uh, it's a guy diving off a building, <laughs> I guess. Um, kind of suicidal. I don't know. Um, yeah, I like he's even got the speedo on. Like he's, okay, I mean, I just got yeah. back from a water polo game. 
My yeah, daughter like, was playing I mean, on. If, Everyone's dressed kind of like, like if, that. <laughs> if you saw this and the guy was not wearing like a Speedo, you'd probably think like, okay, this dude is like committing suicide right now. Yeah, he's just making um, a perfect dive off the, off. you can't see the building, but you just assume off the top of a building. And it looks like New York. Yeah. But um, yeah, with the really the kind of monochromatic tones on the album cover, I mean, it's, um, I'm, I'm assuming they're different shades of deep purple. If you will. Um, it looks more bluish, though, like a bluish sort of, although I guess his Speedo looks a little purple. Yeah. Um, but I mean, I think that combined with the, um, again, you get the white, the white deep purple. I mean, it's not even a logo. I mean, it's the type, the typeface for this album. And then Abandon, which it looks like it's spelled out in blood. Um, mm-hmm. You know, so you got the kind of blue, purple, the white, and then the red. Um, very... Uh, very striking, but otherwise uh, kind of a kind of a plain looking album cover. But when you when you look at it, it, it kind of immediately makes a uh, like a statement to you. Um, like, I mean, when you said abandon immediately, I'm like, oh, yeah, the, the one where the guy's diving off the building. Yeah. <laughs> yep. So. So, yeah, you don't you don't forget it, you know. Yeah, I always kind of thought like. Um, yeah, you like you said, it's the deep purple, all lowercase, like late 90s sort of uh, font. Um, nondescript nondescript yeah like many of their albums just have that no font sort of situation going on um i always thought abandon you know like well you know with you know reckless abandon or whatever like well here's a guy diving off of a building with nothing but a speedo on so that's you know you know quite a bit of abandon being displayed yeah good call i never thought of that um but then you also notice kind of the way that abandon is of course it's sea purple so there's a play on words which is like you know a band on you know and they kind of use that that sort of thing there's like a interview cd they they have you know where they you know have a band on every track on the interview cd is a band on blah, blah, whatever subject they're talking about, these little interview segments. So um, you see there's a period after the D and then I, it's on. Yeah, as, as soon as you said that, I, I saw it. I saw it. The, the, the A and the B have like kind of a, a period like in the middle of it, but then after band, the period is at the bottom. So it's when you notice it, it becomes more obvious. But the so. B is kind of... um um. Like there's a comma almost in the middle of the B or some, or it's kind of an odd look to it. Um, but I, I, what I really like about this is it's kind of like, like almost like the deep sea. Like if you look at the top of the album cover, it's very, very light colors and whites and blues. And as you get to the middle, it's more heavy on the blues and you get to the bottom, it's mostly blacks and shadows. So it's almost like he's diving into like this unknown or this abyss uh, you know, the, the rest of the city isn't lit up. It's kind of intentionally shadowed. And it just looks like that building right, right by his thigh there that would like the kind of pyramid on top. Mm-hmm. I don't know the name of that, but I think that's New York, but I could be totally wrong. There's so many, so many cities that have similar uh, skylines and stuff, but it's hard mm-hmm. to tell exactly. But this uh, album cover was done by uh, by Giannis. If I can find where did I put where is the information on him? Okay. Oh, here it is. Uh, Giannis. So he's got like a couple of websites you can check out for his art, but he does see an eclectic guy, does kind of a lot of um, album covers and stuff. Did did album covers for Johnny Winter, uh, Voivod, Dream Theater, Extreme, Sepultura. So he, he's, he's been around a lot. He's got quite a few credits. Um, and the design of it, and I always kind of 
I, I don't know if the design means like the layout of the booklet and all that sort of stuff. And the artwork was done by Giannis. I don't know. But um, Rob uh, Andrioli, uh, he did he, he did some design. He only did a few design works credited on Discogs. One of those was Ingwe, Ingwe Yangwe Malmsteen <laughs> Live. So no, the, Nate, are you the past couple of shows? Have you been having problems with his name or are you intentionally doing that? Half and half. <laughs> because I feel like you've just forgotten how to pronounce his name properly now. And yeah, you're now just it's like, like <laughs> it's like I'm so used to like uh, hearing your dad say it that I just get, you know, like now I'm like all over the place. It's kind of like when you, um, you know, like mm. people say supposedly instead of supposedly. <laughs> And then you start saying supposedly as a joke, and then yeah. you're saying it all the time, and then you realize you say it in front of people, and like, oh, no, they think I really think it's pronounced supposedly. Yeah. Um, you know, you just start kind of doing it as that, and then you just can't get out of your own head. So, yeah, supposedly I know how to pronounce it. We'll we'll see. Well, irregardless. Irregard so. ir irregardless. <laughs> there's, an, there's another one. <laughs> exactly. And you start saying it as a joke, and then people are like, you know, that's not a word. Um Actually, it is a yes. word now, according to, I think it's Oxford Dictionary, because so many people say it that they're just like, okay, it's a word now, it means regardless. <laughs> so if you pronounce something wrong enough, they will put it in the dictionary. Pretty much, yeah. I mean, if you mm -hmm. spell things a certain way, or you pronounce them wrong, and like, if like, so many people, um, if, if the majority of people are, are using a word incorrectly, that just becomes the meaning. I mean, if the language is fluid, it evolves that way, mm. so... <laughs> I don't think it works that way with names like Yang Wee, but um, we'll see. <laughs> I think. Well, on this on this show, <laughs> yeah. on this show, it's become Yang Wee. It's Yang Wee, Yang Wee, Shaylor. <laughs> um, okay, so that's the album cover. Uh, it's got a pretty big booklet. My, my CD is back there. I was trying to find it before the show and I couldn't find it, but it doesn't matter because I get all the scans right here. So that's the album cover. Uh, pretty normal stuff. That same kind of font used for all the um, songs on the inside of the album with the lyrics. There's these little call outs to parts of the photography. There's like a little close up of some buildings. There's like this weird sort of. Um, I don't know. It almost looks like it was. Uh, like alternate covers or stuff, but they got like a picture of the, of the diver, like standing up straight mm -hmm. kind of a, um, transparent almost. There's like a close up of his, I don't know if it's a circle around his butt or whatever, <laughs> but it looks like <laughs> kind of like the, the, the city below him is like the water. Um, mm. it's kind of like, uh, looks like it's just a reflection in water. There's the back cover with the track listing. And then it's like, it's kind of cool because you see the guy, up there kind of in a, like a little blur and and there's all the people down at the bottom of the building looking up like, Oh no, what is, what has he done? Uh. Um, and then there's another shot without the guy kind of photoshopped in there where they're just people, pedestrians on the ground. It's kind of like ghostbusters are all looking up like, Oh no, what's going on up there? I see sparks. <laughs> Where's Ron Jeremy. Um, then there's the uh, album cover. He's got no his, pictures of the band. Huh? No pictures of the band. Just those little tootsies on the back of the album cover. <laughs> Looks like a his little tootsies. His little <laughs> I don't know why I said that. Um, so, uh, um, yeah, yeah. Now that you mention it, I don't think there's really any pictures of the band in here, which is weird. Um, again, another. it's like a picture of the guy kind of getting ready to dive. Uh, another picture of the guy diving. There's like a picture of the, the building close up. There's a picture of him against the silhouetted against the sky. It's like they're yeah, really gone that? with this this theme here. And then uh, they've got the little breakdown of everyone that's contributed to the album, but no pictures. 
Yeah, I think that I think that's one of the things that might have turned me off about this was it, it seems to be really relying heavily on this this kind of uh, theme, the this almost artsy type of theme around the diver and the city and all this yeah. kind of stuff. And I think I was talking in a previous episode about um, how uh, I think it was Nobody's Perfect and how if the the album is sold or was sold by the album cover, that's probably why I didn't pay attention to it. But when we listened to that track, I was like, yeah, this is a really good live recording. I just didn't give it a chance because it, it maybe it didn't have a cool live performance picture of them on the cover or something. Right. I think that this was kind of the same thing was it was kind of this artsy looking album cover, which didn't have any pictures of the band, like even on the back cover or anything. And, uh, you know, I was, I was looking for something like fireball or come taste the band or burn mm-hmm. or something really uh, interesting, like seventies, like with pictures of the band and uh, just kind of maybe more grassroots than something more, I guess, artsy fartsy. And, uh, you know, I think at the time I wasn't very open-minded to that stuff. I was still very in the past with my tastes, you know, I really like stuff that was more grassroots, I guess you could say for lack of a better word. So I hadn't really hit my stride in terms of accepting new music or even getting into more of the, um, you know, kind of eighties centric stuff that any band had put out, um, that started, uh, you know, as early as deep purple did, uh, initially. So, you know, I think maybe that's what, you know, kept me from, given this more of a chance. Yeah, makes sense. Um, just noticing a few things. I know, I don't know if we mentioned it, but I think on the perpendicular one, they have their website and it's listed as HTTP colon www.deep slash purple or deep dash purple.com. And there's no backslashes. So I was always thinking like, oh, somebody's going to do that. Ah, this damn website's not working because it wouldn't work. <laughs> um, this one has, you know, it says web, you know, this is starting to get in there. HTTP, it's got it. Properly listed out, but then it says newsgroup alt.music.deep-purple. Wow. You know, it's like so taking you back to the days of the newsgroups, which is really cool. Um, some cool things. The road crew, Warren Scoots Linden, who uh, passed away years ago. Was, I know he was uh, Steve Morse's guitar tech. Um, I think he was his guitar tech in Dixie Dregs as well. Um, and then you got Scott Porno Porterfield. <laughs> <laughs> that's That's a great nickname right there. Yeah, that's an appropriate. So scoots and porno are both appropriate uses of the of the nickname in quotes, you know, um, as is Mike Spike uh, Ager or Adger. Um, um, you know, those are appropriate quotes, not like what we're talking about. Michael, Mike, <laughs> you know, Mike in quotes. <laughs> oh, my God. What a crazy name. Well, and then, Scott Porno is followed um, uh, by Mickey Lee Sewell. Of it, exactly. Yep. That's really good to see his name on there. Yeah. Um, one thing I noticed that's interesting. So that they're, they're Robert, uh, Robert, Roger Glover, thanks Vigier guitars who, you know, he had just started using on this album, which is what he currently still uses. And they went out of business recently, the company, which is crazy, but um, very interesting uh, because you don't see a lot of, you don't see a lot of people using their their bases and stuff but he's he he talks a lot in that the diary too about how much he really loved their gear and loved using these bases um music man guitars he puts uh so he must have been using a music man as well i got one right to my right here over here um tune guitars mesa boogie amplifiers but then it says robert eden amplifiers which i think is incorrect because there is a uh company called 
Dave Eden, David Eden, David or Dave, I can't remember, but um, I used to have one. Um, I actually have one right here. Um, I have a little um, uh, Dave Eden preamp. Um, David, I love Dave Eden. Da- David, Dave. <laughs> um, <laughs> but um, yeah, I think that must be like a misprint, which is kind of interesting. I'm sure Eden was not super happy about that if they gave him some gear and they're oh, Robert Eden. <laughs> I don't know oh, how Lord. you messed that up, but maybe I'm wrong. Uh, if you know, write in and tell me, but I think they got that incorrect. Um, so uh, kind of interesting. And then uh, what do you got? What else do we got here on the booklet? You've got just another shot of the city and we're back to the cover there. So um, kind of some, you know, some cool artwork. Uh, but yeah, it's a very much, it almost looks like it's a concept album, but all we're mm-hmm. seeing really is just this guy diving off the building. So. Right. Um. So, yeah, I think that's all I got for that. All the management stuff has kind of stayed the same. It's recorded at Greg Wright Studios in uh, Altamont Springs, Florida, in between 1997 and uh, 1988. Um, it was mixed at Platinum Post Studios in Orlando and mastered at MasterDisc in New York. Um, one uh, thing, uh, like I said, uh, Roger Glover's got these little, uh, t- uh, re- what do you call them? He calls them... Um, Studio reports. So the first one, uh, there's four of them. So we'll just do one, two today and two, two on the next episode. Um, we have completed a brief stay in Orlando at the same location where Perpendicular was recorded. And for Perpendicular, he just draws a line and a line and a line. So um, he does that a few times in the booklet. No title has yet been decided, although there are several on the table. One or two under the table, a few beneath the cushion of a cheap chair, one caught on the horn of a suspicious-looking ram on a remote ranch in New Zealand. No idea how it got there. Four were inadvertently washed in some jeans, and U.S. Customs seized seven. That leaves several. So, little little Roger Glover humor for you. Um, we have some brilliant ideas for songs. I can't tell you how many, but let's just say between seven and nine, roughly. Uh, they are all really bad. However, with a little improvement, they could be worse. Excuse my difficulty with this sarcasm thing. Uh, JL has been tied up uh, making a solo album, and although he was planning on Herring, decided that it would be in everyone's best interest to finish Sick Humor. Um, His Danish first, so he's going through a lot of, like, little puns and word plays here. (laughs) As it it goes on, it's all... In the booklet, it's it's hard to follow because he even starts, like, spacing all the letters around so that they're, like, it's almost impossible to read. Um... What else does he say here? Uh, I must apologize for that last paragraph. JL had nothing to do with it whatsoever. And as far as anyone can tell, has not been seen anywhere near Scandinavia recently. Actually, JL is finishing work already in progress. And so therefore we are all meeting up again alarmingly soonish after the summer gig thing to complete the writing and recording, not to mention the strudel. Um, Steve Morris continues uh, to play with... His echo unit. Now he starts spelling things all crazy. It's really hard to read. Ian Pace is very, very together. There's no spaces. I yam learning new things very day. Everything's misspelled. Ian Gillen likes to dance all over the place. Confused? Quite rightly. Good luck and good luck and look good, RG. So yeah, my spell checker does not like any of that. <laughs> <It's like laughs> oh squiggly God. lines everywhere. Um so they played a few um, shows leading up to this in uh, 
uh, Beirut, Zurich, and Calgary, which they spell wrong, which I think is on purpose, but it's hard to tell at this point. Um, and then in September, they're back in the studio, September 97, to work on the album. Uh, John uh, Doc Stillwell was there, and they were trying to work on John's organ to get it well, to get it working. Um, and because I guess they had some power issues when they were in Calgary. And then they're talking about, he talks a little bit about doing a radio interview for the 25th anniversary of Machine Head, which is kind of fun. And Doc uh, was also working on Rogers' bases. So Pace and Morse join on the 18th of September um, and they get to work. And that's uh, that's where we are left. Um, all right. So before we get into the show, should we thank some more patrons? Hey, oh, hey, oh, that means yes. All right. So let's get to it then. Uh, Coming in for our core level here, we have at the seven dollar and seventy seven cent keep it warm rat tier, Michael Vader at the six dollar and ninety nine cent. The new nice price tier we have. Spike the Rock Cat and Sugar Tea. At the episode $6.66 tier, we have Steve Coldwell, Arthur Smith, Anton Glaving, and Charles Meadows. At the $6.65 Almost Evil tier, Kenny Wymore and Michael Bagford. At the $5.99 The Nice Price tier, Robert Smith, Peter from Illinois, and Carl Helberg. At the... Uh, five, I'm sorry, the 60 kroner Scandinavian Knights tier. We have Zwopper, the Electric Alchemist, and Newt Morton Johansson. At the $5.55 What's Going On Here tier, Richard Fusey. And at the $5 Money Lender tier, John Convery, German Heindel, Adrian Hernandez, Jesper Elman, Oleksi, the Perfect Stranger, Slepikoff, James North, Mark Hodgetts, Kev Roberts, Percival Frequency, Scott Zerns, Cynthia Doobie, and Raf Calf. Thank you so much to all of you for your generous support of the Deep Purple Podcast. Woo! All right. So here we are. We're at uh, the first track on this CD. And of course, this will be a two-parter we'll, as we're in the CD era because we cannot... Well, we can, but we would be insane to try to do this all in one sitting. We can, um, but we won't. We so can, don't but ask. we won't. Actually, I don't know. Maybe we couldn't. Who knows? I'm not going to even attempt that challenge but the uh opening track on this album is a song called any fool know that I think it's got a great groove to it. Yeah, very heavy too. I think it's the organ and the guitar together. Listen to that. And I love that that's a callback to, um, of course, I can't think of it because the song's playing. Yeah, what Um, is that? Like something? No, I'm sorry. Something from Machine Head. I think it's Fireball. I think it's um. Ah, it's gonna drive me crazy. <laughs> this the groove sounds very early Purple. Yep. Especially that. Da-da-da-da-da-da. 
I think it's No, No, No from Fireball. Yes, yes. That's it. Yep. Dylan sounds great. Love the effects on his voice. It's a very heavily affected track. This song, and another memory I have of this album is thinking, listening to the, or reading the message boards and all the stuff, people kind of, I don't want to say they shit on this album, but they didn't, it got a lot of crap, and I, I just remember thinking, I don't know, I really like it. Well, so far, I think it's great. Very strong opener. Starting off with an organ solo. Good move. I wonder how many Deep Purple albums start off as their first solo being an organ solo. Probably not too many. If you know your Deep Purple paint by numbers, you probably know what's coming next. Yeah, Gillen does sound great. Yeah, I mean, he sounds like sounds like his early '80s uh, Gillen band vocals or something. Yeah. Sounds like Morris is doing something a little different, a little more basic. Slowing it down a little bit. really bluesy kind of solo. Wow. I didn't even hear any... Yeah, he didn't even do one. Or I think maybe I heard a little bit like he kind of alluded to it a little bit, but maybe stopped himself. <laughs> yeah. But this is really like very basic, uh, you know, back to basics uh, sounding purple. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I, I, I think it's great. But uh, before mm. we get into um, our, our rankings, uh, any fool know that um, Glover's Journal, he, he talks about this song a lot. Like they basically were... Um, constantly rewriting it having trouble with it not sure where to where to bring it all that sort of stuff um although it seems like the end product worked out great um it it was the working title for the song was called talk radio um and then glover said he renamed it and redid the lyrics and, and, and called it any fool know that um and that it was based on uh this he was reading an article in this mojo magazine about the band radiohead um 
and it's a very weird article, but I was able to pull it up. Uh, but it's ca- talking about Tom York. Um, and it says, you know, it's kind of talking about his early history, but he, he says, um, one of the paragraphs says, Colin's brother Johnny wanted in too, the kind of musical genius who can get a tune out of a cheese roll. He was still only a third year, and an oik from the third can crimp a fourth's former cool as any fool know. I don't even know what any of this means. A very hard <laughs> article to read, <laughs> but it says, as any fool know, and it spells it like that. It spells it the weird way. F-U-L-E-K-N-O mm-hmm. is how it spells, just like Deep Purple spelling it. So, so um, Glover, for some reason, really, that stuck out in his mind, and that's what he kind of worked on with the song. So, interestingly, while they were working on this, um, they performed this song twice live um, in a kind of a primitive state and i can i can play a little bit of it um but thanks to steve for sending me these uh kind of hard to find bootlegs um mm. but this one is uh any fool know that live from atlanta georgia december 5th 1997 so let's let's check it out the quality is not 100 percent, but uh see if we see if we can listen to a little bit of an early version of it I don't hear anything. Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you didn't you. miss much so far. Okay, we're going to start it up here. Sounds like they didn't have the wildly different. No, but it sounds a little more simple. Yeah. So here's another one from uh, the next day, Lake Buena Vista, Florida, uh, December 6th, 1997. I think this one's a little better quality. Ah, yes. But it's kind of cool that they were like openly working this out on live shows, you know. Mm. So it doesn't sound uh, doesn't sound wildly different. I'm just, the arrangement might be a little different here and there, but um, give you a yeah. little bit of an idea of what they were working on at the time. Well, but um, so any fool know that, John? What will you uh, what will you give this one? Well, I think you'd be a you'd be a fool if you don't give this a high rating, like a four point five. <laughs> Zing. <laughs> Any yeah, any any fool know that it's a good song. Um, I really think it's a strong opener. Um, I mean it's got a it's got a great groove, it's got a great kind of a classic deep purple groove. Obviously, there's that callback to what you picked out as a no no no. 
uh, which was really good. Um, I, I like the I like the really raw uh, kind of like uh, like really overdriven effects on everything. Gillen had a lot of effects on his vocals, which made it him sound like, you know, his really early Gillen albums or I'm sorry, is it like 80s Gillen albums of singing better as good as ever? Mm -hmm. uh, the rest of the band was actually kind of restrained, you know, as uh, there was nobody doing anything crazy in there. They just kind of locked into this really cool groove. And that's, um, you know, that was, a, a I think, a smart way to open the album, not be too, not trying to do anything too much or too different. Right. So, yeah, great, great uh, Glover production on this one. Well, any fool knows that I think John is reading my mind because I was also thinking of 4.5. Um, hey. Really like this. think it's a super strong opener. Um, you know, it, it doesn't overstay its welcome. It's only a little over four minutes long. Love that it opens up with the John Lord organ solo. Um, really just a great song. Uh, really well done. And kind of, to me, harkens to what this album stand, it represents in my mind anyway, which is that it's a a heavy album for them. And um, I don't know. I just really enjoy it. Mm. Um, but, you know, uh, what I also give a 4.5 to this um, delicious confection I brought back from Wisconsin, which is um, they're, they're up in Door County. They're known for their cherries. This is a chocolate cherry little cluster here. So I've been I've been nibbling on that during the show. It's fantastic. Yeah, I, um, I noticed uh, I noticed as soon as you held it up, I'm like, all right, that's some kind of cluster. Mm -hmm. It's a cluster. I enjoy a cluster. <laughs> I enjoy a cluster. <laughs> John is a known <laughs> cluster enjoyer. Um, it's very good. And um, mm. I, I I had um, yesterday as I got back, they made their own little peanut butter cups. You know, if you go to like a fudge shop or whatever, they made those peanut butter cups that are like the oh, size yeah. of those gigantic ones. Oh, so good. So good. With the dark chocolate. Beautiful. Um, all right. So. Excuse me. <laughs> John's mm, mm, licking his chops, chops over there. <laughs> He's gonna have to go Oof. out and get some ice cream or something after this. Um, but um, the next track up is called. Well, let me get out of this bootleg here. I don't want to play a bootleg version. The next track up is called "Almost Human." Second Kiss song title that they've stolen. Oh, really? Yep. Well, they did lick it up, and now they did almost human. Oh man! If only I'd known, I would have played that joke on you again. That cheap, cheap shot. Ooh. Almost human, not as well known as lick it up, though. This one always sticks out to me. This one reminds me of, uh, oh, I can't think of one off of Whoosh. I can't think of the name of it off the top of my head. Yeah, Gillen is really like balls out singing so far on this. He's, He's not, not messing around. Easy. The working title on this one was called Last Jam. Was it their last jam? One would assume. So Morse got a really good rhythm guitar sound on this. Really His tone big is excellent sounding. on this. 
I mean, not that it's ever bad, but. It's kind of cool because it's got that. The way Gillen is singing it, he's singing it like it's one of their more. Like this part would be more of like a something you'd hear as like a bridge or a breakdown in, in the early 70s stuff. But it's done super heavy on this one. That little, there he goes. Oh, there he, there he <laughs> is. Starting up a lawnmower. <laughs> Great solo. And this is more of that tone that you expect from Morse. That like, it's like very bassy. It's just so distinct to him. This is very you know, like, it's typical of the Morse era. You know, it's funny, this part right here, it's kind of got a Van Halen type of feel to it. Yeah, I can see that. A little bit. <laughs> I was like, yeah, I'm just human. Kind of like... <laughs> Classic John Lord. Love so, it. so good. Nice little fade out on the organ solo. Love that. I love that we're two songs in and we've had two John Lord organ solos because as listeners know, that's been my main complaint of the, I don't even call it a complaint, but the one of the observations I've made since they reformed in 84 was it's just not enough John Lord solos. Plenty of John yeah. Lord and him lending his, his uh, influence and his take and all of his style on the songs. But man, there's nothing better than a John Lord solo. Well, I mean, yeah, I mean, I mean look at, in the original Deep Purple and, of course, his solo projects, I mean, he shined. And then, you know, I think we we can probably agree he was he was getting the big shaft and White Snake. Oh yeah, yeah, totally. I mean, he was great, but not utilized to his fullest in any way. And, and I mean, who knows? I mean, maybe maybe that's just what he wanted out of that gig. But I mean, I can't imagine that you're John Lord and you're like, eh, yes, I'm I'm fine. You know, I can just 
play any old keyboard part that some schnook off the street could do. <laughs> but I mean, that's just that's just my <laughs> preference, though, is it's just like more more Lord. And then, of course, getting back into the reformed Deep Purple, as you said, it was just not enough, not what we were hoping for. So it's, um, you know, in this this new this this current era that we're with the perpendicular and now the abandoned era. Uh, nice to hear that he's he's back. Yeah, that's great. Well so, represented. An interesting thing, and again, another reason I love this tour book is because it's a diary and it gives you current events. And throughout this, um, in a way that we don't have with other albums, we have this like stuff of like, here's what was going on in the world while this was happening and while this is being done. And one of the things that gets mentioned, so on January 26, 98, Lord does the solo for the end of Almost Human. And Glover says just one quick line about it. He says, typical of him, it's a first take. So he just plugs in. They start recording. He does that. And then that's it. No need for a second take. And obviously you heard it. It's fantastic because it's John Lord. Um, And then he says, Glover says, "I, I, I feel like the session is over. So or we relaxed with a little TV. Um, after this, because this is basically at the end, Lord was off doing a solo album. He came back, did his parts kind of at the tail end of the recording session. And he felt like, OK, there's a few little things to touch up. But for the most part, we're basically done with this album. And and this is interesting. He says, I feel the sessions. I turn on the TV and following the news story about the presidential crisis being reported that Monica Lewinsky and Bill Clinton allegedly had an affair in the White House. So this is just breaking at this point. And oh. not only is it obviously, you know, I'm an adult at this point, so I can relate to some of the things that were going on. But I remember when this was when this broke, I remember I was working at a bar um, at the bar of this restaurant. And I remember looking up at the TV, you know, the TV at the bar and they were reporting mm-hmm. on this had just come out. And I'm thinking like, wow, this is like that. I, I know exactly what I was doing the day that John Lord did that, <laughs> did that solo. I was, you know, <laughs> making drinks and <laughs> making gin and tonics and working at this bar in Providence, Rhode Island. Um, uh, it's just very interesting that you have these things in a way that you just don't with you know, maybe what would be considered the more classic albums. We don't know what was the current events going on when they recorded, you know, into the fire, yeah. who knows? Uh, but it's just kind of interesting to me. And, and you, you get that throughout this whole album with little, some little snippets I've picked out from that booklet. You ever hear, um, you ever see this, uh, there's a recent, um, meme going around as a picture of like, uh, Bill Clinton sitting at the desk in the, uh, the Oval Office, like uh, smiling. <laughs> what? I said, uh oh. <laughs> <laughs> it was just a regular picture of him just sitting, sitting in the Oval Office, and uh, the caption is, "Is um, kids today? Uh, uh, kids today probably don't know that there were actually two people in this picture." <laughs> <laughs> yep. And it's just the most subtle joke, but you're just like, it took a, you got it a lot faster than I did. I read it and it's, I stopped for <laughs> I a second. Mean, you're talking like, about him smiling at a desk. I mean, come on. <laughs> oh, it's brilliant. Genius. Um, yeah, but I, th- I think one thing that, um, you know, without, you know, I'm sounding like an old man to some and probably like a young, foolish, naive idiot to some of our older listeners. But I remember at the time, like all this stuff just getting discussed on the nightly news was kind of like, holy crap. There's just 
they're talking about some stuff. You know, nowadays you'd be like, whatever, like it's just totally normal. But back then it was pretty shocking to be hearing the, spe- the specificity with which they were referencing all of the stuff that was going on. And it was pretty crazy. But um, but yeah, anyway, it's just interesting. seeing what was going on in current events and thinking about what was going on at that time um, that this was being reported. But anyway, John, almost human. What do you rank this one? Um, Give this one a four. Uh, This is another, another strong track um, for sure. I love um, so far. I'm loving the sound of the album. It has a really big roomy, uh, heavy, uh, effects laden sound. Uh, Gillen is singing really like energetic. Um, you know, he's doing that really like balls out type of singing. Um, Morse's solo is great. One of the things that I, that I thought about was is like when I'm, when I'm hearing him do is like, um, uh, you know, you think of like, um, uh, really accomplished or shredder guitar players and like, uh, they don't really do a lot of bends because they're usually too busy going all over the fretboard but when he when he does a bend when he bends and holds a note it's very distinctly him Mm -hmm. and um that's really uh that's something i really like about this solo in particular but it just made me think like now more into morris's playing and i could recognize some of the stuff he does the the bends um the uh the uh you know the kind of the fast runs <laughs> that he does uh the pinch harmonics um and it all just fits in really well with the sound that's you know uh, the the composition of this album so far and then even that little bit of uh i don't know it's like a definitely an 80s van halen type of uh like maybe mid to late 80s van halen type of like thing like that I like in the rhythm you, you mean like yeah yeah mm-hmm. that's like i can't put my finger on it but it sounds like um yeah, it doesn't sound like they were like ripping anything off from it or anything. It just kind of had that feel to it. I don't know what it was. Maybe it was um just kind of the 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 vibe they had going. But I mean, it was it was definitely all worked. Um, and then of course the the little John Lord creeps in at the end. Of, yeah, <laughs> and then and then he sneaks in his uh, his organ solo, which was um, fantastic. So, yep, yeah, it was great stuff. A lot to like about this. Um, well, I think, um, yeah, I think we're lockstep so far. I'm also giving this before. I really, really dig this track and kind of continues on where my, um, my remembered impression of this album, which is, that it was just a really solid, heavy album. And I just, I think the production on it's great. I think it continues where they left off in perpendicular. It just sounds great. And you get, mm-hmm. you know, I don't know that, you know, the last few albums had their moments, but I think everything, everything since, Perfect Strangers has been, you know, here and there spotty. Mm-hmm. And I think they've been really solid in the Morse era. No, nothing to really, uh, nothing to complain about on my end. I think it sounds great. Mm-hmm. Um, okay. So that, um, oh, you know what? I'm still on this uh, other monitor here. Let me switch this over so that we can get to our next track, which mm-hmm. is the third track on the album which in a song called Don't Make Me Happy. Classic uh, blues intro. A little bit of a change. While a blind blind man, uh, when a blind man cries, rather. While a blind man cries. (laughs) 
What? I said, while a blind man cries. <laughs> while a blind man cries, Deep Purple writes a song about it. <laughs> Called Don't Make Me Happy. This reminds me of Gillen, the band. Mm hmm. Specifically, something off of. Actually, this reminds me of something off of Shark Kazoo. Yeah? Yeah. Hmm. And of course, I can't think of it while this is playing, but. Scott Haskin is listening and knows what I'm talking about. I know it's not Donkey Ride Dream. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, he did do some... Uh, like really kind of a lazy blues type of stuff on there. Yeah. I think it might be you led my heart astray. interesting to say don't make me happy apparently there's a quote from one of their crew members tone yeah i don't know if it's tone loke i don't know if he was working for them at the time but <laughs> it was originally titled oh darlin blues there he goes I love the, I think you mentioned this in another song, but just the space, mm -hmm. the space and the dynamics and like a song in particular like this, you get these two hard hitting songs to start off the album and then it opens and then it goes into this, which kind of brings it down a little bit, which would, seems like in a concert would, context would work great. Yeah. So um, Glover writes, they did this, the vocals on November 13th, 97. 
He says, Gillen did a great job on Don't Make Me Happy. And then he says, he is like a dog with two dicks. So maybe our British listeners will have to tell us, is that an expression that I'm not as familiar with? Nice, nice little track there. Um, as I look up this expression, <laughs> tell us what you think of this song. <laughs> uh, um, I'll give this one a three. Um, it didn't really, didn't really do that much for me. Um, uh, I guess after the the first the first two songs, like this one was a little bit of a. Uh, departure like I mean I I think the 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 play the performances were were good like um uh, Morse had a, another great tone a kind of a bluesier tone not as edgy and um Gillen was uh, you know really singing really well on this album but the the song has like um a lot of that um you did say when when a blind man cries type of vibe to it and then when it goes into the chorus it doesn't seem to fit in as well I think uh, with the rest of the song, like if they kept that kind of like blues vibe for the whole song, then maybe, but um, I don't know. There was just something missing there. I think um, that, that kept it from being really great. So, um, you know, this, this would be a skip for me, I think. Okay. I'll give it a 3.5. I totally agree with what you're saying about the chorus and feel like it fit in quite the same way. Uh, but I do really like the song in general. I just, I, I kind of like, again, I think it's the the production of it and the, the, the space that's there. Um, mm-hmm. So when I searched Like a Dog with Two Dicks, interestingly, the first thing that comes up is a quote from Bill Clinton. <laughs> so we're kind of keeping with that okay. theme. Okay. <laughs> He's saying somebody is luckier than a dog with two dicks. Oh my um, goodness. I hear somebody saying, I'm happier than a dog with two dicks. Um, you can buy a People Dicks dog mug. Um, there's a USA Today story about dog with extra penis and six legs survives after vet surgery. Um, oh, here we go. A hundred and one plus British slang insults. Um, um, like a dog with two dicks. Uh, expression, a promiscuous man. Example, he sleeps with a new woman every night. He's like a dog with two dicks. That yeah, makes sense. Okay. Oh, there you go. Just, just you know, such a learning experience doing the show. <laughs> well, that's what we're here for. <laughs> we're here to learn. We're here to we're learn. Here to critique, and we're here to learn. Exactly. Um, okay. Next track up is called Seventh Heaven. I really like the vibe of this so far. I don't remember this one at all. Mm. At least maybe the intro I don't recognize. Nice. 
Hell yeah. It's in 5-4? I can't tell. Yeah, it's a different time. Yeah, it is an odd timing, right? It's, sometimes it just sounds like an odd timing, but it's not. Let's see. Hmm. I can't even keep up with it. <laughs> oh, that was kind of cool. I had kind of like reverse echo fading in. Yeah. Glover's bass tone is a little low in the mix, but the tone of it's sick in the background. Sounds great. Yeah, you can feel it. You can tell it's there. Now, this is one they also tried out live with Any Fool Know That. Sounds like a very um, brave one to try out live when you don't have it down yet. <laughs> yeah. are a little low on this one. Now it sounds fine. But I love this little instrumental part here. It sounds like he's doing some harmonics, Morris. Yeah. understated little solo here. Morris is getting very bluesy on this album. Mm-hmm. And his solos, I like it. Not forget Pacey doing the friggin' drum solo back there. And he's going nuts. And that's another thing we've mentioned before is Pacey being very subdued in the late 80s. And now it's like he's back, you know? I mean, it could have just been like uh, how inspired and on the same page these guys had been at the time. Yeah. But in, in Glover's notes, there's a lot of talk about them all feeling good about this album and getting along mm. well. I mean, there's most of that throughout the Steve Morris era. But it would seem they're gelling very well. I think 
I'm still sticking by my guns so far in that I don't understand why this album gets the scorn that it does. Yeah, Unless it I really don't... falls off fast, but my impression of it was always that it was very heavy and a nice follow-up to Perpendicular without being derivative and being this just the same thing again. Yeah. And just a cool song, a cool arrangement, interesting, interesting yeah. stuff going on with the time signature and the, what the, what they're doing with that little like instrumental bit. Anyway, what do you think of uh, Seventh Heaven? Oh, you know what? Worth mentioning. I'll I'll, I'll play it just from that that second show, that Lake uh, Buena Vista show. This is a, this is one of the two that they had tried live, as I mentioned earlier. And here's mm-hmm. um, let me see if I can find it here. Seventh Heaven. Do 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 do. Here we go. So this is the second time they tried this live. This one's seven minutes long, though. Wow. So they must have really gone off. <laughs> You hear that guy? He's like, you're probably younger than I am. <laughs> I love inane crowd banter. It's great when you can just really make out what they're saying, you know? Speed King! Did they play Speed King? Let's see. They did. They did play Speed King that night. Listen until the uh, heavy part comes in, but it sounds like they're recreating it pretty well so far. Mm-hmm. struggling the what the way that Roger Glover made it sounds like oh we tried it live and it was a disaster and we got a bed we got a t- back to the drawing board but it sounds like they're <laughs> I mean we're not listening to the whole thing but it sounds pretty good to me yeah sounds pretty good yeah so anyway there you go just something to so give us some perspective. All right, John, what do you think of Seventh Heaven? Um, I give it a three point five. All right. Um, a, a lot to like about this song. It's uh, got a, it's got a heavy, got a, got a heavy riff. I love the how the uh, the beginning. It kind of, I feel like it kind of builds up. Like, was it was it Hey Cisco? Mm, maybe. Kind of had that little bit of a a quiet beginning, and then kind of did the little build up. Um. I don't know. I think that was it, but it kind of reminds me of how it, it had this soft part in the beginning and then built up and then it got heavy. Yep. Um, but then the soft part came back um, in the middle, uh, which I really liked that combo of like the, there's the harmonics and um, whatever he was doing on the guitar. There was really, really nice. I thought it was cool. Um, but um, yeah, yeah, definitely, definitely a great song, but um, you know, not up to the, I guess the the first two have kind of like set the bar for me, so kind of has to equal that. But you know, very consistent 
uh, kind of sound and songwriting and performances so far throughout the album. Yeah, absolutely. Um, yeah, I'll, I'll give this one a 3.5 as well. I, I think it's a, I really like it. I love that little instrumental in- intro. I love the odd time signature. Then, you know, the vocal, but to me, it's just a little, I don't know, droning might be the right word. Yeah. Um, but yeah, but I, I still really overall think it's a, it's a good song. So yeah, it's kind of where I stand. All right. Um, do I have anything else about that song? Let me see. Seventh Heaven. Um, Glover, he wrote that Lord did the solo for the song on Glover's birthday, November 30th, 1997. Hmm. Uh, Glover said he was exhausted. Uh, he was thank- He was thankful that many people did not know it was birthday. Uh, and he said, so I don't enlighten them. I guess he doesn't want a lot of attention on his birthday. Um, and then I guess Morse had made like a subtle change to his part. So it kind of threw Lord off. So he had to uh, do some work on it to to, to fix it, uh, fix it up after the fact. Um, and then he says, after this point, he gets a much better idea what the final album is going to sound like. And he said that that was the best birthday present he could hope for. Um, and then, yeah, this was the only other track they attempted live before the album was finished. All right, here we go. The next track up is Watching the Sky. Very cool Scarabus style beginning. Ah, it does remind me of Scarabus. The actually also reminds me of um, the battle rages on and that beginning with the stops. Yes. Like that little discordant. Oh, now it's cordant. (laughs) (laughs) The opposite of discordant. Cordant or dis discordant. So not the direction you'd think it would go after that big, heavy opening. No. Flangy, chorusy Gillen effect on his vocals. Interesting how many um, um, similarities I've drawn between this and, like, the Gillen band. Yeah. Stuff. This... This actually kind of almost sounds like a Pink Floyd song at this point. Yeah, yeah. Until this happens. (laughs) Yeah. Scarabus pie. And Versus, like, what I call is disturbing the priest vocals. Yeah. He's doing that, uh, that doubling there. It's really weird. He's just like, it's almost like he went back in time on this album because he sounded kind of like last couple of albums, you could hear his voice maturing a little bit. And then it's almost like he went back in time to like the early 80s. And that's how his voice is at least produced on this album, which is kind of cool. Yeah, and a lot of the notes that Glover has in his studio notes are about how well Gillen is singing at this point. Yeah. Well, won't deny that. Sky. 
So now this, this little bridge part is like halfway between those two extremes. Nice. The, scr the screaming voice into the screaming guitar. Yeah, love that. is really killing it on this album with the solos. Yeah, he's incredible. Like, I love the really chorusy effect uh, and tone that he's getting on his guitar solos on this album. It's not as dry. This is probably one of my favorite sounds on a lead guitar. It's just like drenched in chorus. It's like it seems like it's going to go to the edge of insanity and then it kind of pulls back a bit. It's very like. Mm. It sounds. More negative than I mean it, but it's very disjointed the way the you've got this part and then these like heavy bits and it's going back and forth. Yeah, I was going to say, I'm not really not really a big fan of the arrangement of the song. It's almost like it needs to. Yeah, like I, I would prefer like it kind of builds and then descends rather than like the ping ponging back and forth is. Yeah. One, two, buckle my shoe. Always a good, uh, always a good lyric for a metal song. <laughs> oh, well, it's not that not this is metal particularly, but typical Ian Gillen lyrics. It's got to throw something goofy in there. My kids are always singing this stupid one-two buckle my shoe thing that some dumb YouTuber does. To the point where we're like, guys, if you sing that one more time, we're going to strangle you. Love this outro. It's awesome. It just sounds like they were jamming. And like you said, like going on the brink of uh, everything falling apart, you know, like it was just sounded like um, controlled chaos. I yep. like that, especially Morris's uh, pinch harmonics in there. Well, <laughs> Zoom cut you out with that one. <laughs> Damn it. <laughs> you have to have your original sound for musicians on for that. He's <laughs> like, how about, how, how about this? <laughs> you do it more understated and it picks it up. <laughs> it just well, like something in the Zoom algorithms like that must be a police siren or something. We'll cut it out. <laughs> yeah. So um, what I said was, <laughs> which is not an accurate uh, description of how Morse's pinch harmonics sound, but it's the only yeah, thing that yeah. Zoom can pick up. So <laughs> take that. <laughs> it, just, it sounds like a crying kitten. <laughs> Meow. <laughs> <laughs> that would actually be a good edit to like replace all of the pinch harmonics with a cat meowing. Meow. <laughs> <laughs> uh, now I know somebody's going to ask me to do that, and I don't think I'm going to. Um, okay, so <laughs> watching the sky, what would you give this one, John? Um, you know, I 
I, typically I might rate it lower, but I'm going to give it a three because um, like we had mentioned, we were listening. It's very, um, it, it doesn't, this, the whole song, I don't feel like flows very well mm-hmm. um, just between the two parts, but the part, the different parts on their own are really cool. Like the, the kind of Pink Floyd part uh, that, uh, you know, you called it uh, the, the other uh, verse was very, very cool, very kind of dreamy. But then, uh, you know, it goes into this other thing, this, the, you know, the, the chorus part, which I think has a really cool groove and a really cool riff, but I, I just don't think they really go together that well, but on their own, they're very cool. Yeah. And um, like I said, like Morse's guitar solos are just, they're great. They're just so, I feel like, um, well, he wasn't really doing anything crazy on perpendicular, but I mean, I feel like he's just kind of between his tone and the effects that he's using. It sounds like he's just playing really kind of bluesy, almost you know, bluesy metal kind of simplistic, you know, he's keeping it really basic and it's just really fitting, uh, the whole vibe. Um, you know, he's not doing anything that's, uh, you know, too difficult or inaccessible to, latch onto like he's not ripping a, a Steve Vai or a, a type of solo or Ingve solo like so you know one of the more complex ones and that's what I really like about that so based on the solo alone I bump it up like a half point but I take the whole thing down for just the arrangement of the song yeah um yeah I'll agree with the three on that one I, th- I think it's got some great parts but would have liked to see them like stitched together differently and it's probably just what they were going for right but it just didn't, didn't resonate mm-hmm. with me the same way that some other songs do but um yes. kind of like agreed with all the parts you said so um this song was originally titled Wawa and then that was the working title and then they retitled it Moth to the Flame before uh, mentioning watching uh watching the sky um so uh while finalizing the arrangement for the song, uh, they went out and um, they were doing a shuttle launch at C- Cape Canaveral. So they went out and saw it. So um, I, I it, it, he doesn't really mention the direct connection, but it's called Watching the Sky and they're watching uh, the shuttle launch um, into the sky was the Atlantis. I actually found this. I found the C-SPAN video of it. So I'll put a link in the show notes if you want to watch what uh, Deep Purple was watching at this time in, in 19. Uh, well, this would have been. Uh, this would have been late 97 when they launched this. So um, so Glover says, uh, it is still impressive lighting up the night sky. Amazing to think of those courageous souls sitting on top of that tower of flame being blasted off the planet. A bit like one of our gigs. So mm. there you go. A little Glover humor for you. All right. Um, and the last track before we uh, uh, end part one here is uh, track number six, and that is Fingers to the Bone. It's kind of interesting that, like, those stabs, like, of the guitar and the organ, it's very rare that you hear guitar and organ playing like lockstep like that in Deep Purple. They're usually like doing more counterpart stuff. Yeah. 
It almost sounds like they're going in, like when the song starts, like they're going for more of like the aviator style thing, but then you get this heavy mm. stuff kicks in. So it says here that when they're recording the song, Gillen was singing so powerfully, it was picking up like these ambient noises and echoes for the studio. So they had to build a special booth around his microphone hmm. to kind of prevent that. Which is funny because it doesn't sound more powerful than some of the other songs, but it must no. have been something about it. Something about this song that kind of gives me a... Like it's trying to be a radio-friendly type of song. Yeah. I could have seen this on the radio. What was, what was on the radio in 1998? Who knows? Or I just feel almost like it's... Not soft rock, but you know what I mean. Kind of, um, what's another word for that without saying soft rock? I don't know, adult contemporary? <laughs> well, yeah. Like, kind of like that, but not, just because I wouldn't ever say that about Deep Purple. <laughs> yes. A little piano solo like, oh, by it's John Lord. Deep Purple, you know, yacht rock. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Yeah, this whole song is just taking kind of a weird vibe to it. And you got the the soft piano in the front and the harmonica wailing away in the background. It's very unusual. And then this heavy part. With that like organ and guitar playing in lockstep. Which is kind of cool. The piano solo by John Lord was done on Thanksgiving Day, November 27th, 1997. Before or after the turkey dinner? <laughs> I don't know if they celebrate that way, if they had a turkey and stuffing and stuff in the studio. He's like, oh, oh, fuck. Oh, I ate so much. All right, let me do this piano solo. <laughs> <laughs> it's a really slow <laughs> piano solo <laughs> with some belches in it. <laughs> Oh, we didn't have the podcast back then.
So that's fingers to the bone. Um, John, what do you think of that one? <laughs> I'm like, I'm speaking all softly now. Like, John, what do you think of that one? I'm a ASMR podcasting. <laughs> I don't know what's going on, but. Um, <clears throat> um, uh, I'm going to give this one a 2.5. I wasn't really, I wasn't really having it. No. Nah, it's, um, yeah, it, it just, it seemed to, you know what? I think it's just, a, it was, feel like a, it felt like a filler track to me. Right. Um, I mean, I tried to get into the, into the groove. I tried to get into the vibe, but it just really wasn't anything. It was just kind of, just kind of one of those songs that's just kind of sitting there. It's just, mm. yeah. Yeah. So, um, I don't know, maybe, I don't know. There were some things like on, uh, perpendicular that I had heard that, um, you know, I didn't really like a as much at first. And upon repeated listens, I'm just like, okay, I'm getting more into this. Yeah. Um, and I've done this with albums in the past too. And, and I don't know, maybe this could be one of them. I don't really foresee it being that way, but you know, um, right now it just, it, it isn't really hitting me. Um, yeah, I'll give this one a three. Um, but I've kind of, I think I feel Similarly to you, it seems to kind of have the same sort of disjointed arrangement that the previous song has. And I like mm. kind of like that jingly jangly guitar stuff that doesn't always sit well with me, but it works pretty well in this song. Uh, but it's interesting that you brought up um, being like radio friendly. So I pulled up what, what songs were on the radio in 1998 because I can't remember. So we've got um, you so can't. many that I've never heard of. I'm like, <laughs> I guess I wasn't listening to um, Ray of Light my, by Madonna. Uh, one Week mm -hmm. by the Bare Naked Ladies. It's been one week. Uh, so that that was on the radio. That was a huge, huge hit. Um, uh. Doo-wop, That Thing by Lauren Hill. This Kiss by Faith Hill. This kiss, oh. this kiss. Oh John's shaking his head. <laughs> oh God! Do you did you ever see the uh, the 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 Family Guy episode where <laughs> Peter had on his like his five second talk show or whatever it was? No. <laughs> and there was he was just like um, I guess the whole thing of it was is um, every everything was everything's like everybody needs everything in quick bites these days on the internet. It's like everything is short and everything. So he came up with this idea of an internet um, or an online talk show that only lasted like five seconds or something like yep. that. And so they did a bunch of different segments and one of them was like, all right. And it's all done in his garage. And he's like, all right, folks, this week, the bare naked ladies are like, it's been, he's like, thank you everybody. Have a good night. And then the show ended. <laughs> I should not <laughs> see that. That's what I think of every time I get, it's been. <laughs> <laughs> oh. Um, oh, I'll play that clip for you later. Fly away by Lenny Kravitz. But, all right. Yeah. I want to get away. I've got, um, there's a really great video on. <laughs> It was a good Lenny Kravitz, by the way. <laughs> <laughs> What's I like to get <laughs> 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 You like a butterfly, fly so high. Um, there's a great video somebody made years ago of, uh, it's so weird, it's of... Um, it's of Fly Away, but they, they he, he alters all of Kravitz's lyrics. So yeah. he's like, I wish I could fly like a butterfly. I fly so high. Like a dragonfly, but then he just starts just like repeating all the words. 
<laughs> it's just like, <laughs> and then at first it just sounds totally normal, and then you just realize he just keeps singing about butterflies and dragonflies or whatever. Um, <laughs> oh, believe by do you believe in life after love? That share. Wow. Um, yeah, when when auto tune came into popularity. Yeah, that's pretty much that. Pretty much lit that on fire. Because mm. I remember hearing that and being like, "Wow, it's such a unusual, cool effect." And then I think well, that's the other, that's an area where it can be really like it, she used it as an effect and it was like actually kind of cool and it, interesting. It made it stand right. out. But then it just then it became that effect was used on like every song and now it's like standard on everything. And it, I, just got so, it was so funny, though, because back then it was just like um, Cher and Madonna were both putting out albums and they were kind of reinventing their sound to be a little more pop and dancing. And I was like, oh, oh, my God, they're so old. They were like 42 or something. <laughs> <laughs> I don't think Cher was 42 in 1998. No, so, well, I mean, they but, were, you know Madonna what I mean? They maybe, weren't yeah. like, yeah. I don't know, they were just like, oh my God, they were like our age now or something. Oh God, their age, oh God bless her, she's still making music. <laughs> God, <laughs> God, God love her that she's still going. She should be in a God retirement home. <laughs> At 47. <laughs> I, gotta, I gotta look that because I feel like everybody... Everybody has like talked about Cher so much as it's just like about how old she is that it's just like, all right, she couldn't have always been that old. You know, I think the narrative was just that. Yeah, even in the, what, uh, the the 80s or what, whenever that song. Uh, um, turn back time. If I could turn back, when she's on the battleship, I was like, oh, my God, look at what she's wearing at this age. She's still wearing the same stuff 35 years later or whatever. <laughs> all right. So 1998. She, all right. Cher was 52. Still okay. not, not that old. Not that old. But I mean, um, in all right, 87, she was like 40. Yeah. When she was wearing that stuff, which I mean, look at friggin', I don't know. <laughs> look at anybody now, everybody. Like, uh, what's, what's her face? J-Lo, she's still wearing a bunch of. Oh yeah, J-Lo's way older now than, it's like J-Lo, like certain people like J-Lo never got to that point. Like Cher was like, oh my God, she's so old. And now like J-Lo's in her 50s and nobody even bats an eye. Like they don't mention it at all. They're just like, oh, she looks great. Good for her. So I think just times and sentiments changed, I guess. Oh yeah. I mean, it's just like, uh, what was that? uh, Do you remember that thing that, um, was it you or Rich sent about, um. Uh, the cast of Cheers, like during the first season, <laughs> yeah, they showed Norm everybody's was like age. Thirty six. <laughs> oh my! Oh my! We, Kelsey Grammer was like twenty nine. That was the one that blew me and Rich away. We're like, holy shit! We thought he was like like forty eight and <laughs> like twenty nine. He's like yeah, young enough to be my son. <laughs> I know, and that's the thing is, it's just I mean, like it I think it's because early, it's like. Uh, kid but like like hairstyles clothing styles like um yeah i think that that just made people appear older in the past and now it's just like uh you you're you know you're you're our age and there's some people that are our age that uh, like like me that um people think that (laughs) (laughs) people think are way younger and it's just styles and yeah it's crazy it's like yeah like i i have friends from high school that have kids in their mid-20s so it's just funny to think (laughs) it would just be great if somebody's like here's my kid and it looked just like kelsey Grammer in the 80s (laughs) this is your son (laughs) 
it's just like wow he's he's bald but has that big bushy hair in the back and like a uh, a tweed jacket with like uh, patches <laughs> well, yeah, guess, on the elbows yeah i guess the way he was dressing too i don't think any um any 29 year olds would be dressing like that now unless they're just doing it ironically or whatever but mm, yeah uh, but anyway that kind of wraps up that first um half of the album there i do have another studio report to close out this one well, this one's kind of a little bit on the long side excuse me let me put on my reading glasses take these off <laughs> Can't, I can't read. I can't read this. It's so small. I should have. I, I usually type it up, but I, I have this one printed out. Uh, mm. So it's, it's the October studio report. Uh, it says Ian Gillen arrived in Orlando on uh, September 7th, 1997, and the rest of us arrived in dribs and drabs. I dribbed in a few days later on the 9th, September, to write with Ian Gillen, Ian Pace. Drabbed in a few days after that, and JL dribbed and SM drabbed about a week later. <laughs> he's well, he's really he's really hanging on to that drib and drab yeah, thing. Yeah, he's, he's off the rails on these reports. Um, anyway, the upshot of all this dribbing and drabbing is that the actual recording session started on the nineteenth of September at noon for all you punctualists. Um, our loyal and hardworking recording engineer, computer operator, counselor, and fashion consultant is Darren Schneider, who has had the good fortune of otherwise or otherwise to be still there since the last album we have taken a break in the proceedings for a week therefore we have been hard at it as they say in the musical circles for the best part of five weeks heads down again next week during the time there have been successes failures hardly any jokes laughter practice and a lot of fiddling with wires tuning up listening writing driving gossiping tripping up brain surgery focusing making tea brewing coffee thinking looking recording rewinding fast forwarding unpacking learning arguing nicely thank you darts sleeping smoking flying drinking saying oops cooking concentrating dialing reading an enormous amount of pushing buttons Filing, searching, eating, correcting, unworking, mending, programming, <laughs> looking at the sky. Oh, there you go. And muttering about the price of potatoes, planning, plugging in, complaining, sorting out, complimenting, watching and playing tennis. Ian Gillen and Charlie narrowly beat Roger Glover and Colin 624675 yesterday. Um, so, yeah, it's mostly long because of that one paragraph. But he, uh, I, got, I got tired just <laughs> listening to it. <laughs> I was out of breath just hearing you reading it. I did cut out a lot of, in in these all these things. There's a lot of talks about tennis matches that I kind of cut out because I didn't think it was relevant. But because I'll be like, on this day we recorded the piano solo, and me and Colin beat Ian Gillen at tennis or whatever. Um, so he says uh, there are 12 items so far on the agenda, not all of which will make the album me thinks. Um, although there's 12 album, 12 songs on the album. So um, what does he? Say? Say. But who knows? The general tone of the album is tough, being the result of a direct manipulation of the outmost sensory organs by means of careful voltage control, high decibel regeneration, and the redistribution of particles of human madness and logic interwoven into the subdivisions of connected sections of powerful rippage placed cunningly between the start and finish of each piece. Of those 12 songs, five has so far been adorned with lyrics. The rest play themselves in mute abandon on the dat player while Ian Gillen and I wrestle. I know what you're thinking, and the answer is no, not yet. Solos have been attacked on about half the tunes, but are fighting back. There's a strange dichotomy at work here. We know what we are about, but we don't know what we're doing, or the other way around. At least one live performance has been salvaged from the May writing session. Uh, an idea born in 1987 at a rehearsal has found new life. We'll get into that next week. One song, The Stallion, didn't make it to the last album, but has made it to this, and has been thankfully butchered in the process. It will be called something else. No, not something else. That was written by Eddie Cochran in 1950-something. And in my humble opinion, was a very, very early of hard rock, example of hard rock, long before hard rock was an item. And I love it, but I digress. 
The atmosphere in the studio is very happy, confident, and relaxed. Must be the cleaning, alcohol, toothpaste, and palm trees. Working titles will not be divulged at the present time due to mostly governmental pressure. All in good time, some unforgettable characters in a famous book probably once said, probably. Good luck, Roger Glover. With a little ASCII wink emoticon there. So you know you you hear you hear the way that he writes these um, these diaries and everything, and I know that there's been there's been him endless endlessly talking about a, a book, but I mean he would I mean that definitely makes me feel he would be if he ever came out with a book it would definitely be interesting because his yes. writing style is very, the way he words things is not boring. <laughs> no, he might have to tone down some of that, <laughs> but, um, but it's but, great. Mean, yeah. He does have a way with words. He's, he is very, I mean, it's uh, no secret to anybody. He's very creative, but I mean, he's definitely, he's definitely he's, a skilled, uh, interesting writer. So he's if a that cunning book linguist, ever does, as they say. Yeah. A and common cunning linguist. And he's, um, you know, he's just very clever, you know, in all yeah. things that he does. So I think, yeah, yeah it'd be, it would that, be a great. Uh, yeah. Great, would, yeah. I hope you he know, does. if his book ever does uh, see the light of day, I, it would be a very interesting read. Yeah, for sure. Um, okay. So uh, before we wrap up this episode, we, of course, have to do something, which is to thank our foundation level patrons um, coming in. If I can find them, where are they on this gigantic mess of show notes that I have? I kind of combined all the show notes this time, so it's a little bit of a mess. Okay, thanks to our foundation level patrons at the three dollar and I'm sorry, at the three pound aromatic feed tier, we have Simon Ford. At the three dollar and thirty three cent halfway to evil tier, Stephen Sharp and Duncan Leesk. At the three dollar nobody's perfect tier, we have Peter Gardo, Ian DeRosier, Mark Roback. Stuart McCord. Ivan Fielbu. Runar Siemensen. JJ Stenard. Ruinous inadequacies. Um, John Miscelli. I, I do look good in shark skin. Did we do that one last week? I can't remember. I, I don't know. <laughs> Who knows? Uh, uh, and Michael Boyette at the um, $1.71 I want my own tier tier. Rich, young, we, Oh, yeah, sure, right. That's rich. <laughs> Who the hell is that? And at the 10 kroner tier, Karsten Lau. At the one pound tier, we have Lord Longford. And at the $1 made up name tier, we have the Don't Make Me Leaky, Leaky Mausoleum. The, uh, oh yes. So Steven Somerville, the Concerto 1999 fanatic. Hank the Tank, Private Eyes, Ashen Lionel. <coughs> Blackmore Tights. And Steve Down to Earth Kohler. Thank you so much to all of your generous support of the Deep Purple podcast. I've almost considered just like recording the entire patron segment and putting it in so that I yeah. don't have to go through this every week. 
Yeah, until you get <laughs> until you get a new patron and they are. Oh, I yeah, I know do it that, all over. that's what I thought. I was like, no more patrons. Uh, we're closing patronage. I can't do this again. <laughs> but it, I think maybe it just adds to the charm that I'm fumbling around with these sound clips every single week. Yeah, why not? Just like I fumble with the spreadsheet. Yeah, you fumble with the spreadsheet. I fumble with the uh, sound clips. As long as we're fumbling something. All right. Makes it fun. Makes it fun. It's all the fumbling at the Deep Fumble podcast here. Um, <laughs> all right. So I guess that's it. That was easy. Yeah, um. <laughs> Yeah, that was easy. <laughs> Inside joke. Wink, wink. <laughs> it definitely was not at all the most technically challenged episode we've ever done. Uh, um, as Nate said at the beginning, before we started recording, I'm ready to abandon this episode. <laughs> well, at the beginning of recording today. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Not at the episode that we started um, days ago, but um, yes, we're through it. Hopefully uh, next, hopefully part two should be smooth as silk. Ooh. <laughs> but we, we worked our fingers <laughs> to the bone on this one, folks. But um, mm-hmm. yeah, we'll see you. We'll see you next week for part two. Uh, the remaining tracks and, uh, you know, break down the reviews and uh, merchant- merchandising and all that sort of stuff. So thank you so much for uh, listening and we'll see you next week. Thank you for listening to the Deep Purple podcast. If you like what you hear and would like more episodes in the future, please donate on Patreon to support the show. You can also leave us a review in Apple Podcasts to help new people discover the show. You can follow us on YouTube, Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook for show updates. See deeppurplepodcast.com for more details. Thank you for listening. I like when there's somebody just struggling, or they go they go to the urinal and they're like... dude i get it but like could you not do that like like sometimes sometimes i will make that noise but only if i've like really been holding it and it's a relief to just let it all out i'll be like everyone makes that noise sometimes but like it's just like when you're surrounded by like strangers and you're just like oh <laughs> just this big like like it's like god dude i get just internalize that when there's other people around <laughs> <laughs> it's been